Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, on the show again, we have Brett Siegelkoff and Phil Moran. Pastor Phil Moran, sorry. Good to be here. <laughs> All right, so we're talking about the Trinity this week, and today's subject is the Trinity and American evangelicalism. So, in Matthew chapter 16, 13 through 15, we read this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, that question uh, couldn't be more important. Um, for what we do with Jesus, how we define him, how we embrace him is the most important thing about us as individuals because our whole eternity rests on that question, what have you done with Jesus Christ? In a 2016 poll released by Ligonier Ministries, uh, it's called The State of Theology. I would encourage you to check it out if you just go to thestateoftheology.com. Um, in this poll, they surveyed evangelicals, Catholics, those from mainline denominations, and those who would just identify as other. And in this poll, there were 3,000 participants, and they were given statements which they could either answer strongly disagree, somewhat disagree, not sure, somewhat agree, or, or strongly agree. Now, the, this question of who do people say that the Son of Man came up? And so here's the statement that was given in the poll, and then I'll tell you how they answered it. So here's the statement. Jesus is truly God and has a divine nature. And Jesus is truly man and has a human nature. Now, on that question, 66% of those who identify as evangelicals strongly agree. Now, if that average were applied to your church, that means that four out of 10 people do not believe that Jesus is truly God and truly man in one person. A, st a second statement was given this way. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Now, 49% strongly agree with that statement. Half of evangelicals believe, at least those polled, that Jesus was created. Haven't we seen this heresy before? Yikes. 49% yeah. <laughs> are Arians and, and don't know what an Arian is yeah. and, and don't know that they shouldn't be. Yes. Uh, so there, there's no new heresies under the sun. But I, I hope as I read those statistics and, and, and Josh, you know, those those are truly those truly are discouraging. But I, I do hope that probably a majority of those folks, you know, perhaps just haven't had a lot of, of good, perhaps perhaps haven't had as, as good a teaching as they as they should have had. Mm -hmm. And that if they if they were to hear a, a very brief and biblical theologically informed explanation, they would immediately agree and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess I was wrong. I hope that I hope that's the case anyway. Yeah. But I either way, these stats certainly indicate, uh, as, as you've been saying, Josh, the, the need 
for catechesis in the yes. church. And, yeah. and if you don't know that term, it's a fancy way of saying teaching. Yep. The, the, need, the need for good, solid teaching of basic Christian doctrine in the church. Mm-hmm. You know, as I was thinking about this question, um, I was thinking about the issue of the Trinity and, and, and our basic church teachings. Even if we're committed to an expository biblical approach to preaching, mm-hmm. how often will the issue of the Trinity itself actually come up? Mm-hmm. So, so even if you are preaching faithfully through the Word of God week after week, we have to be even more purposeful in our teaching of theology to be able to put all those pieces together. And and it it just convicts me that that's going to be incredibly rare and incredibly uncommon unless I push it. And it, mm-hmm. it brought me back my memory to a Sunday school class I was teaching a number of years ago. And and we were talking about the doctrine of God in the Sunday school class. And um, we started talking about the basic definition of um, of the Trinity, right? Um, God is one nature, three persons. And um, I said that, and I said, I asked the class, I said, do you do you agree? And 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 hardly anybody raised their hands. And these are people who have grown up in the church. Yeah, uh, they would they would acknowledge Jesus Christ is their Savior alone, and uh, and they didn't quite understand it. So then when I explained it, they said, Yeah, we believe that. And so almost every Sunday after that, I would say, Give me the definition of of the Trinity, and then they would spout it off to me. And I and I had to keep bringing that up, yeah, just to get it in our minds because mm-hmm. uh, it, it, through our our weekly worshipful experience. Unless it's purposeful, we probably won't get into it. We would maybe get into the deity of Christ, go through the book of John, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll, we'll maybe get into it with creation. But once we leave those areas, we're, we begin to talk about John, uh, talk about God in his specific persons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something um, hugely at stake at this. So when we're talking about the identity of Jesus, we're, we're not simply like getting the answer to the question, where's Waldo wrong? You know, we're, we're, we're not like, you know, hey, you know, isn't this a neat thing that we can get all of our theological definitions correct? That's not what's at stake in right. this conversation at all. Right. If Jesus is a created being, then nobody can be saved. That's right. Um, a mere man. In fact, in fact, I'll have to paraphrase it because I don't have it right off the top of my head. But in Psalm 49, it talks about the preciousness and the, the expense of a man's ransom and that no mere man can atone for his own sins. And if no mere man can atone for his own sins, certainly no man can atone for somebody else's sins. If Jesus is just a man, right? You, you, we're lost. And, and even, if, even if he's a created being on a higher level than the average human being, which is what Arius taught back in the, what was he, second century, early third century, um, even if even if Jesus is some kind of a super being, if he's a created being, then he's not God. He's not fully divine, mm-hmm. which, you know, Scripture tells us in the prologue to John's gospel. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then mm-hmm. you skip to verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. Um, and, it, and it was the early church reflecting on Scripture like that that led to the doctrine of the Trinity, that Jesus is fully God and fully human and reflecting on the truth that only God can save. That's why it's not, that's why it's not, we don't just acknowledge it um, because we dig, you know, theological precision, Mm -hmm. but because it's at the heart of our salvation, it's, it's at the heart of the gospel that God has entered into the world to save us. Amen. You know, this, you mentioned the word catechesis and that's just another word for, 
doctrine or teaching, like you said. We get the word catechism from it. In the larger catechism, it asks two questions back to back, which are so important. The first question is, is why was it requisite or required? Why was it required that the mediator, Jesus, should be God? And then the next question is, is why was it required that the mediator should be man? If, if, if Jesus is not both God and man, uh, we have no gospel. We have no good Amen. news. Uh, if, if he was a, a higher being, something higher than man, then he can't be our substitute. He can't obey for us. He right. can't be punished for us. The right. whole gospel is overturned. Right. And that's why, uh, as one of my teachers used to say, Jesus is not just God down. He's humanity up. Mm. Nice. That's yeah, good. It's a good way to put it. All right. So in that same poll, um, several statements were posed regarding the Holy Spirit as well. So we're talking about the Trinity. And here's one of those important statements that was in this uh, poll called the State of Theology. You can find it at thestateoftheology.com. The Holy Spirit, quote, the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. Now, 33% of evangelicals, not everyone polled, but only evangelicals, said that they strongly agree. Pastors, how do we respond to nearly a quarter of evangelicals, actually more than a quarter of evangelicals, who think that the Holy Spirit is not a personal being, but is a force? You know, I think that the first um, response I have to that is, we should really be careful to base our theology on Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and, and use the Force, Luke. Yes, and uh, and I and I think my other response is that this is again one of those those things that has to be purposely taught in, in, in churches because unless you really you're spending time in John and Acts, you're gonna you're not gonna be coming across too many scriptures that talk about the Holy Spirit as a right. person. Mm-hmm. And and so that becomes something that that we get to reinforce, and and even as we talk about baptism with the church, mm-hmm. we could bring that up. We say, you know, I'm baptized in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son mm-hmm. and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So so he has a name. I mean, he he is a person, and 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 he is part of the baptismal process. He is not just this the power that extends from God right. into us. Although he is the power, you know, he is the power of God. I mean, this is one of his roles as a person. But when we begin to understand that he is a person, it really radically changes our 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 spiritual life mm-hmm. because we can realize now when I sin, I can grieve him. You know, say yes. him. I grieve him. He he is in me. He he he's around all of the sin that I let into my life and it's affecting him as a person, not just some impersonal force. And so it completely revolutionizes revolutionizes the way I live my life. And 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 I've heard some say that that possibly uh, in in the Trinity the most disrespected and dishonored member of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit in our yeah. day and age. Yeah. Right, right. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think that's a, d- a depressing but true statement. Um, and and also, uh, unfortunately, as, as soon as you talk about well, let me let me just talk about the weakness of my own tradition. I, I'm a Presbyterian. I have been all my life because it was ordained from all eternity, of course. But um, amen, amen. Um, in my in my circles, as soon as you start talking about the Holy Spirit, people start to get nervous because they think you're going to bust out with with you know speaking in tongues or you know being charismatic or you know which, which is unfortunate. And 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 by saying that, I, I don't mean to any 
any criticism of my charismatic or Pentecostal friends, you know, um, and I, I think that's our, it's our problem that we've not done adequate teaching about the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. uh, to, to LA that, that nervousness that people, that people may feel. Uh, and I, I see it in the church all the time that we're very, very comfortable talking about God, the father. We're very, very comfortable talking about God, the son. And, and sometimes we, we neglect the Holy Spirit, which is really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, Brett, you were mentioning a minute ago the book of Acts. Um, and the, the full title is The Acts of the Apostles. Mm-hmm. Is, is, somebody once said that it, it should be called The Acts of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Mm-hmm. And which is really profoundly true because it's all about the work of the Spirit. In, in I know the a hip hop artist said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you yeah, off. Yeah, no, 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 no. The thought was complete, yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, as, I, as I heard you, Brett, a second ago talking about, you know, um, the identity of the Holy Spirit, and this is important, I can imagine, as we're just as we're getting ready to close here, how somebody might say, well, how is the, the identity of the Holy Spirit, how is that practical for me? How is the identity of Jesus practical for me? Beyond what you guys already said about, you know, the gospel being intact. Well, listen, listen to what this is, because some people might think, well, I already got that down, so why are we talking about this again? Second Peter uh, chapter one, verse three says this, that his divine power, that's God's divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Um, the knowledge of God, which is what we've been talking about this week so far, is the most ty- practical type of knowledge because as we look at God, there's this principle in all of life that whatever you behold, you become. And so in God, Luke's gospel, talks about how you, the eye is the light of the soul, and if your eye is darkened, soul, your soul will follow. You, you become what you behold. And as we behold God in, in all of his trinity, splendor, and beauty, um, we're slowly being conformed to the image of the Son of God. Well, that's all the time we have today for the Gospel for Life. We will see you next time. 